Amen. Amen. Well, today, I want to jump right into the message with the 30 minutes that we have left because I'm excited to bring you part two of a message that I really feel like the Lord put on my heart for our church. You can see it on the screen behind me. The word is advance. And I believe this is a word for our church in this season. I really do believe this is something that God wants us to lean into with all of our hearts. And if we're going to do it, we have to make up our mind to move. And so we're talking about moving on, moving in, moving up, and moving out. And last week, I really drilled down on those first two thoughts, moving on and moving in. But for the sake of continuity, I want to start there again just to pull all of this into view today for you. Help me do something right now, if you would. Just open your hands up in front of you like this. I want you to see this visually. The reality is God has today every resource that you need for today. He'll put it in your hands. He'll provide for you daily. Last week, we looked at the story of the children of Israel going out and collecting manna, and those who collected a lot had enough, and those who collected a little had enough. Why? Because God knows what you need, and if you'll open your hands, he'll be faithful to meet your needs. But here's the reality, and this is what many of us do. We reach back, and we hold on to the hurts of yesterday, and we don't let things go, or we reach into tomorrow and we grab a hold of those things that we're unsure about, the uncertainty of our future. Now, how many of you know if I'm holding on to tomorrow or if I'm clinging to yesterday, I can't receive everything that God has for me today? So I want you to get that picture in your mind. God is calling us to stay in the day, to receive everything that he has for us. The same way that he promised manna to Moses for the children of Israel, God wants to meet and supply your needs, but we have to move on. In fact, let me, let me read a, a prayer that Moses prayed in Psalm 90 and verse 40, or 14. Psalm 90, verse 14. Moses, who led the children to receive the manna in the wilderness, prayed this prayer. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Isn't that why you came to church this morning? A desire that God would satisfy you? Isn't that why you're logged on with us here? God's satisfying us in the morning? That's that's why we come. Look, I don't know what kind of week you've had. I don't know how your uh, morning went so far, but you chose to be a part of this 1130 service because there's something on the inside of you that says, God, I want you to satisfy me. In the morning, I want you to satisfy the desires and the longing of my heart. And if we're going to find our soul's satisfaction, we can't just move on from yesterday or from the concerns or worries about tomorrow. We have to move in to God's presence. We have to move in. Listen, even Jesus had to move in to God's presence. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, we, we get a snapshot of the rhythm of Jesus' life. I want to read it to you. Here's what it says about Jesus Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So early, while it's still dark, Jesus tunes in to receive from the Father. Now look, if Jesus, who was perfect, I mean never sinned in word, thought, or deed, perfect, If Jesus needed to get up early and find time to get in the Father's presence, how many of you think that might be true of you and me? 
Amen. And I love, I love the text here because I know some of you can relate to this. The next verse says, the disciples found him and they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. They were frustrated because they couldn't find him. They said, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Now, if you're a mom with kids at home, I think you can relate to this verse, right? Everyone's looking for you. Where have you been? What do you mean? I took two minutes by myself. Jesus got up early, before dark. He had to make time. He had to find time to get in the Father's presence because he knew what it was like to have people pulling on him, pulling on his emotions, pulling on his compassion. They want him to feed the hungry. They want him to preach a sermon. They want him to do a miracle. <clears throat> and maybe you feel that way. Like everybody is pulling on me. Everybody wants my attention. But if we're going to advance the kingdom, we have to make time. And the truth is, you know, you can't make more time. So that means you got to say no to some things. Or you got to set the alarm a little earlier. Or you got to not watch the next episode in the five seconds that Netflix gives you to decide if you're going to give them another 30 minutes of your life. No, I got to make some time. Not another show hole. <laughs> I'm not going in. Jesus, <laughs> he made Time to move into God's presence. Now, I want to give you a prayer you can pray. It's in Psalm 143. And you're going to want to remember this verse, Psalm 143. This is a prayer you can pray every day, and I guarantee you God will answer this prayer. How many of you think that sounds like a good prayer? <clears throat> Maybe a prayer we ought to pray. I will guarantee you God will answer this prayer if you'll pray. And here's the prayer, Psalm 143. Verse 8, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. For I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go. For to you I entrust my life. Now, let me give you a little context for this prayer. David is the one that prayed this prayer. And in Psalm 143, David is hiding in a cave. King Saul is on his trail. He wants to <clears throat> capture him at the least, likely kill him. And so David is hiding in a cave, and it's dark, and it's late, but he has hope. And his hope is that the spies that he sent out are going to bring him a good report. And so here's David in a situation of uncertainty. He doesn't know how close his enemy is. He doesn't know if he's safe to get some sleep tonight. But he prays this confident prayer in the unseen God. And he says, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. Because I've put my trust in you. <clears throat> in other words, David is completely dependent on these messengers to bring a good word. Now here's why you can pray that prayer every day, and I guarantee God will answer that prayer. You can say every night, Lord, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. Do you know why you can get a guarantee? Because you have a copy of the word of God. If you'll get up every morning and open up this book, if you'll seek the Lord in his word, I promise you, you'll get a word of his unfailing love. This is God's self-disclosing revelation of himself to mankind. This is God's love letter to you and I. And if you'll open it up, God, God will show up. And he'll show you the way that you should go as you entrust your life to him. 
We've got to move on, church. Past yesterday's hurts and tomorrow's uncertainties, and we have to move in. I'm not talking about just coming to church on the weekend. I'm talking about making a personal commitment to rise and to meet God and to receive today's manna, to receive his word. We've got to move in to God's presence, and we've got to do it daily. And that is key for us to do this next thing. Thirdly, we have to move up. We have to move up. Let me talk about that for a few minutes, and and let me clarify. When I say move up, I don't mean move up in the ranks of your salvation. I'm so thankful today that when when I asked Jesus to come into my heart, when I asked him to forgive me of my sins, when I surrendered my life to him and said, Jesus, you're going to be the leader, in that moment, I was saved. Did you know you can't be more saved than saved? The moment you give your life to Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. Revelation says your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. So if you're saved, you're saved. And yet there is this reality that as a saved people, as followers of God, we are called to move up. So what am I talking about when I say move up? I'm talking about going from the place where you are when Christ rescued you up to the place that he's called you to be as a reflection of the image of his own son. The Bible word for closing that gap between where you are and where God wants you to be is sanctification. Sanctification. Closing the gap between who you are and who God has called you to be. And that's why our mission statement as a church, it's very simple. Our mission is leading people from where they are to where God wants them to be. And can I tell you today, that is our mission statement for even the person that says, I would never darken the doors of the church unless six men carried me in in a pine box. That's our mission. We want to find that person and lead them from where they are to where God wants them to be. But did you know that's also our mission for the most senior saint in the house today? And it's our mission for the preacher in the pulpit. And here's why. Because you never arrive at the place of sanctified in this lifetime. We're never going to stop moving up until we breathe our last breath here on this earth and inhale the very glory of heaven. So this process, just just look at somebody sitting near you and tell them you haven't arrived yet. You haven't arrived yet. All you online, you're not there yet. I I know know we're doing pretty good. We're having church. That feels good. There's a blanket of snow covering the earth. That feels pretty good. But we have not arrived yet. And it's up to us to close the gap. Here's how Paul the Apostle talked about it. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul said this. He said, I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. In other words, Paul is saying, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be be like Jesus all the way to the end of my life. 
I don't think Paul was saying, I want to be crucified on a Roman cross. I don't think Paul was saying, I want to suffer. I want to have them pierce me in my side with a spear. No, I think what he was saying is, I want to be like Jesus every day of my life until the last day of my life. And I even want to be like Jesus in death. Because Paul knew, if I can be like Jesus in the way Jesus died, then I can be like Jesus after I died. How many of you are thankful Jesus rose from the dead? Amen. And he says, I want that resurrection life that Jesus had, so I want to be like Jesus. If we're going to advance this year, we have to move up. And I'm going to tell you how we do it. We move up by the renewing of our minds. The renewing of our minds. If you have your Bible, go with me to Titus, a little epistle in the New Testament. Right after the books of First and Second Timothy. Titus chapter 3, Paul is writing this to a church planter that he put there on the island of Crete, Titus, and he's reflecting on this process of sanctification. He's reflecting on what it means to close the gap between who we used to be and who God purposed us to be. And he says in Titus chapter 3, verse 3, at one time... We too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. At one time, he said, we too. How many of you have an at one time, we too were story in your past? Aren't you glad that's not your story today? But I think all of us could probably write our own little Titus 3-3 moment. At one time, we too were. I don't know what you were. I don't want you to tell me right now. But all of us can look back on our faith journey and go, one time, I used to be that guy. I used to be that gal. I used to be a person that was foolish and disobedient and deceived and enslaved by my own passions and, and pleasures. But thank God that's not the end of the verse. Thank God he's just not, you know, gathering the church around to just tell our sob stories and, you know, share our battle scars and talk about all the stuff we've been through. No, look at the next verse. Verse 4, he says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. This is the gospel, church. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us, he says, through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that, verse 7, having been justified by his grace, we might become the heirs having the hope of eternal life. And then he says in verse 8, this is a trustworthy Saying, In other words, this is something you ought to remember. This is something you ought to come back to again and again and again. Can I challenge you, church? Don't, don't ever be one of those Christians that when we get to the part of the message, we get to the part of the service where we start talking about the cross and, and salvation and grace and redemption. Don't let that be the moment where you check out and say, oh, I, I, know, that, I know that stuff. In fact, I think, I think Pastor Aaron says that like every Sunday. I, I can't remember the last time that I heard him preach that he didn't talk about the cross or being saved or grace and get to the new stuff. Can I tell you, we're never going to get past the cross. 
We're never going to get past the message of the gospel. And Paul tells them, look a little farther. After he says this is a trustworthy saying, he says, and I want you to stress these things. I want you to stress these things. This is... This is the crux of our salvation. This is the most important thing. I want you to stress this. I want you to come back to it. I want you to rehearse these things. And that's what they did in the early church. They would, they would rehearse these sayings. They would say them out loud together. They became their mottos. They became their creeds. So that they never forgot the message of the gospel. Of what Jesus did for us. Not because of our own works. Not because of our goodness. He rescued you while you were still lost in your sins. There's a reason, though, that Paul is saying this now. Look again at verse 8. He says, I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God, that's those who were saved. He's talking to the church now. Those who've been translated out of darkness into his glorious light. These, he said, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. So he's saying, look, what God did, you could never do for yourself. He saved you, but because he saved you, and you're going to keep going back to that point of salvation, and you're going to keep going back to that place of redemption, now you're going to be motivated, and you're going to be careful to devote yourself to doing what is good. These things, he writes, are excellent and profitable for everything, for everyone. You know what Paul's talking about? He's talking about process. He's talking about that process of closing the gap from where we were when Christ saved us to who he's called us to be. He's talking about sanctification. We keep coming back to that place of redemption, but we don't just stay there as a wretch saved by grace. We turn into a masterpiece, chosen and called by God to produce good works. It's so important for us, if we're going to move up, that we allow our minds to be renewed in God's word. We have to move into God's presence. We have to move into his word and begin to move up in our thinking. Did, did you know your brain is not static? In other words, your brain can change. Your brain has plasticity to it. A study, a lot of studies were done in the latter part of the 20th century <clears throat> that showed the many aspects of the brain and how it can be altered, even into adulthood. How a brain can, it can change, even physically, it can change. The studies also showed that the brains were much more susceptible to change and easy to change in adolescence than they are in adulthood. Which that, That's the science behind the old phrase, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Because <laughs> an old dog's hard-headed. He's set in his ways. His brain's not moving too much anymore. But the reality is our thinking can change. In fact, there was a study done that showed during the first month of a newborn's life outside of the womb during the first month, an infant is learning so many things that the number of neural connections, which are called synapses, that are happening in the first month increase between the brain cells from 50 trillion connections to one quadrillion. 
I got to be honest, I don't even really think I know what that number looks like. A quadrillion synaptic connections. To put it in perspective, if the rest of the baby grew at the rate that the brain was developing at the end of the first month, that baby would be 170 pounds. What am I saying is that the brain has the ability to change and to grow and to develop and respond. And here's how it works. Every time you have a thought, there's a connection that, that is made on the neural pathway. This thought connects to this thought. And And the more you have that thought, the more your thought travels that neural pathway. It's like like a, a path through your yard that you cut through every week to take the trash cans out. And because you go over the same path every time, eventually it becomes downtrodden to where now there's dirt. And all of a sudden it becomes a developed path or like a deer trail through the woods. All of a sudden it becomes a clear path to travel. That's the way your mind works. The more your thoughts travel across your brain with those same thoughts, the easier it is for you to think that thought again. And if it's a good thought, that's good news. If it's a thought that you are loved by God, that you are a conqueror, that you're victorious, those can be great thoughts, but for some people, you've got some thoughts that were impressed upon you in your childhood, and you've spent your whole life trying to get off that highway. But what was a dirt path became a a neural highway. And everything you do, you hear that negative voice in the back of your mind that maybe it's telling you you're not good enough. You'll never measure up. You're a failure. You're not faithful. And there are thoughts that prevail in our minds. I, I did a whole series on that idea back in 2019 called algorithms. And, and I would encourage you, if, if this idea resonates with you, go back on our website or download the podcast and listen to that whole series. I, I don't have time to, to unpack all those thoughts today, but the reason that I bring it up now is because we're at a place and in a time where if we're going to advance the kingdom of God, we have to move up in our thinking. You know what I see a lot of in our culture today? I see a lot of group thinking. Let me just give you a practical example of how it sometimes plays out. Group thinking is, you know, one person uh, does a study on something, maybe for a paper or whatever, and, and so they write an article about it, they post a blog, and somebody else reads that blog, and they resonate with what that person said. Now, they didn't study the material, but they liked what they said about it, so they share that post, and somebody else reads your comment, on the post, and they didn't even bother reading the article that the person that did the study read. They just read the post one of their friends said about the article that somebody did a study. And so then they shared it, and then somebody else didn't like what they shared, and now they're arguing. They're debating on an issue. They don't know anything about it. But they're group thinking it, and they just, you know, popular opinion. Have you experienced this in the last year? Here's what it feels like to me. It, It feels like There are a few, if I can say it this way, societal neurological paths that have been turned into thought highways. I went hiking last Monday with my daughter on the Mason-Dixon Trail down by Muddy Creek, and, and there's these little tributary streams 
that flow into the mainstream, that flows into the river. But if you've ever seen a, a stream at flood stage, it overflows its banks, and all of a sudden, it envelops all those tributary streams. To where there, there might have been many thoughts, many ideas, but if you're at flood stage, there's just one. And, and it feels like in our culture that there are some prevailing thoughts, and our culture is at flood stage. And so you might have an idea about one issue, but because we're at flood stage, if somebody hears your idea about one issue, they, they sweep you away in the river of five other opinions. And they, they judge your opinion about everything based on your opinion of one thing. I, I didn't even talk about that. I'm talking about this. You ever been there? Have you experienced that? <clears throat> now here's, the, here's the word of caution, because if we're not careful as the people of God, if we don't move up above all of that noise on this level and move up to a kingdom of God perspective, we're going to allow ourselves to be swept away in the, in the current of group thinking and polarization where there's prevailing ideas at odds with each other. And we're standing here in the middle as the people of God, and we're trying to reach the lost. But we feel so distant and polarized from people. And we can get sucked right into it. But you know what we need to do? We need to move up in our thinking. We need to get the mind of the Lord. We need God's thoughts on the issues. Because if we don't get God's thoughts on the issues, the, the danger is that we're going to fall into the world's patterns. The danger is that we're going to, our hearts are going to become hardened. The danger is that if we don't get God's thoughts, we're going to lose our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Now you say, where do you, where do you get that? Why do you say that? Because that's exactly what Paul told the church 20 centuries ago. I don't have time to unpack everything that they were dealing with culturally, but I really don't need to. Just, you know, scroll on social media or look out your window. They were dealing with the same issues that we're dealing with in many regards. And Paul wrote to the church in Ephesians chapter 4, and he said this. He said, verse 17, so I tell you this. And insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. You say, stop thinking like the world. He goes on, verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, and they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. In other words, they just, they lost sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. Their hearts became calloused. And they're darkened in their understanding. They, they just don't see things for the way that they really are. He said they're, they're in the futility of their thinking. Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity. They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. <coughs> Verse 20. Hear this, church. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. 
Come on, isn't that true? When we look at our culture, when we look at the way that, that, that people are getting swept into the current of, of mainstream thoughts and ideas and, and, and opinions are being so polarized, Paul the Apostle speaks to us from 20 centuries ago. He says, hey, don't forget that's not the way of life you learned. It might be the way the culture thinks. You might feel compelled. You might get drawn into that, but that's not the way of life you learned, verse 21, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off. Your old self. Again, church, he's not talking about the miracle of salvation. He's not talking about what Jesus did for you that you can't do for yourself. He's saying, Jesus saved you, now you've got to move up. And if you're going to move up, you've got to put off some things. You've got to put off some old mindsets. You've got to put off some ways of thinking. You might have to put off some habits. You might have to put off some relationships. You might have to unfollow some folks because this is not the way you were taught. He said, you got to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Verse 23, to be made new. you got to do that so you can be made new in the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He said, you've got to put some things off, and you've got to put some things on. Paul is saying, you have to do it. Listen, church, you don't become Christ-like by sitting in church or by watching a service online any more than you become a scholar by sitting in the library. Well, I've sat in the library, and I know some of them people are just there for the coffee. They're not getting any smarter. You have to move up. If we're going to advance the kingdom, we have to receive the mind of Christ. And, and all of this that I'm saying is a progression. In other words, you have, to, you have to move on. You have to move on from the uncertainty of the future and from the hurts of your past so that you can move in to God's presence and receive everything that he has for you with open hands. And you have to move in to God's presence daily. you got to wake up and pray like Moses, Lord, satisfy me in the morning you got to pray like Jesus early in the morning and go after God. You have to move into his presence so that you can move up in your thinking. You have to put some things off and put some things on. You have to receive today's manna, today's portion. And if you move up in your thinking, then you'll be able to move out. And I just want to say to you today that that is what we're called to. I really don't have enough time to, to preach this point, but can I just remind the church today that lost people are not your enemy. They're your mission. Luke 19.10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It's why he came. It's why he gave his life. It's why he died. Lost people are not the enemy. They are the mission. That's why one of our six core values as a church is that we remain outward focused. And I say remain on purpose because our human tendency is always to turn inward. 
Our human tendency is to, you know, we would, we would just see uh, the world and go, man, it's, it's going to hell in a handbasket here. What are we going to do? Well, let's just circle the wagons. You know, let's just circle the wagons and, and we'll have our own little kumbaya Christianity and we'll keep all the bad world out. That's not what the gospel calls us to. The gospel calls us to be outward focused. And so for us, the way we define that core value is this. We actively share in Christ's mission to reach those outside our church rather than remain mired in the self-focus of personal preferences and comfort. Church, we have to move up beyond the us versus them mentality. Listen, it... Wouldn't it be genius on the part of Satan to get us to fight with lost people? If we're fighting with them, we're not reaching them. If, if the lost are our enemy, we've gotten off track. We've stopped advancing. We've forgotten the purpose for which we were called. Now, listen, I, I, I'm as guilty as anybody of being opinionated. In fact, I'd say I'm good at it. <laughs> I'm as opinionated as anybody. But I have to rise above. I have to move up beyond my opinions about things that are lower than the kingdom. I'm talking about advancing the kingdom of God. I'm talking about the bigger picture. Let me say this to you. My heart, I want you to hear my heart as your pastor today. I want our church to be a microcosm of heaven. What we're doing right here, this is preseason. <laughs> this is not even the game. This is full dress rehearsal. The curtain hasn't even risen. The show hasn't even begun. God is preparing us. He's preparing us to be his kingdom citizens, to rule and reign with him in righteousness forever and forever and forever. What we're doing right here, this is dress rehearsal. And I don't know everything about heaven, but I know this. It's going to be a place of diversity. Because Philippians says every tribe and every tongue will bow before him and confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And so I want our church to be a place of diversity. And I don't just mean ethnic, ethnic diversity. I also mean economic diversity. Because there's all kinds of people coming through the gates. Now, when we get on the other side of the gates, I'm pretty sure we'll all be loaded. We'll all be doing good at that point. But coming in the door, heaven is going to be a place of economic diversity. And it's not just going to be ethnically and economically diverse it's going to be generationally diverse I have no desire to just pastor a young adult church I don't want to have a church that one day I'm not welcome in I want to be a, a church that has every generation represented senior saints and kids alike empty nesters young adults families single adults because I want the church to be a microcosm of what heaven's gonna be like. Church, we ought to be more passionate about lost people than we are about lost privileges. Because we've gotta think higher. This might blow somebody's mind today, but 
Did you know there's gonna be Democrats in heaven? And for some of you, did you, there's gonna be Republicans, I know, they're gonna be there. Shocker, yeah. So you know what I wanna see in the church? Democrats and Republicans. I, I got some friends in ministry and I've watched them over the last year on social media. I'm not talking about private conversations in the car. I mean on social media. I've seen some of the stances they've taken and some of the things that they've said. And I, I genuinely want to ask, bro, do you want any Democrats to get saved in your church? Because of some of the things that I see them say, I go, man, we got to move up. We got to move up because God's kingdom is up here on a higher level. And we cannot allow ourselves to be swept away in the current of group thinking and minimize our impact because of what's happening on a lower level. We gotta move up. We gotta advance the kingdom. We gotta reach the lost, even the ones that we don't like, even the ones that aren't like us, the ones that don't work where we work or live in the kind of house we live in. We've gotta advance the kingdom. I wanna pray for you as we close this service today. Would you just bow your head wherever you're sitting? Those of you online, join with us in this moment of prayer. Father, today, right now, I ask that you would speak this word on a deeper level. We thank God for your word, Lord. We thank God that we can engage mentally and, and, and we can wrestle with thoughts, but God, thinking is not enough. We need your spirit to let this word be planted in the soil of our hearts. God, we need it to produce roots and fruits in our life. God, today, if anyone is struggling to move on past hurts from yesterday or fears and anxiety for tomorrow, God, in this moment, may we open our hands and open our heart and receive today's provision to live in the day, to stay in the day and walk in the goodness and the grace you've made available to us. God, if there's anyone here today that is struggling to just move into your presence, God, let this week be a new pattern. Let this week start a new rhythm. God, I pray that this week they would rise and seek you and cry out like Moses, Lord, satisfy us in the morning. That they would call out like David and believe that, Lord, you're going to give them a word of your unfailing love in the morning. God, let this be a week that we move into your presence with intentionality and purpose and we put some things off that we need to put off and put on the mind of Christ as we move up in our thinking. Lord, help us to walk in wisdom and to rise above the noise and the current of society's pressure. God, help us to renew our minds, to walk in love. And God, I pray that you would compel us to go out. Even next Sunday as we prepare for football Sunday, God, I pray that it would be a weekend that lost people are brought into the house of God. Those that maybe care nothing about worship, but they love football. They love hearing stories from athletes. God, whatever it takes, we want 
We want to see the lost saved. So God, I pray for a harvest next weekend. We pray that it would be a Sunday that people come into the kingdom of God through the doors of this church. Lord, we thank you for dealing with us on an individual level. God, help us to die to ourselves, to our own opinions, to our own comfort levels, to be kingdom-minded. Let this church be a reflection of heaven. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. Amen. Can we stand all over this room as we get ready to end this service? Thank you so much for being in God's house today and drive safely as you go home. For those of you joining us online, thank you so much for trekking with us today. As we close this service, if you're here and you say, man, I'd love to have somebody pray with me about something I'm dealing with, I'll be right here at this altar and I would love to pray for you. I just want to pray a closing prayer as we get ready to dismiss today. Would you join with me? Father, today we pray that this word that we've heard today would produce fruit in our lives. We thank you for it, Lord. Strengthen your church in Jesus' name. God, build your kingdom through us. Advance your kingdom through us as we move on and move in and move up and move out in 21. Blow us away, God, exceedingly and abundantly, more than we could ask or imagine. Have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said amen. Come on, can we just give God praise one more time today? Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the atmosphere of this room. We give you praise, Lord, in Jesus' name. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful week.